Before I go into the subject for tonight, I wanted to share a kind of practice story that happened while I was turning my mind towards this talk. Um, This maybe, for me, it was rich in the learning, and maybe there's something that um, can help you too. So I was turning my mind (laughs) towards this talk, and what I discovered, there was a lot of heaviness, a lot of resistance, the mind was really dull, and it was like, oh. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what's going on here? You know, what's this about? And, you know, at that point, there came interest. And so it was a case of having to like we do with experience, simply be with the experience. And that meant, you know, at times it was the breath, at times there was thoughts, the thoughts came. (laughs) It was quite funny. (laughs) I don't want to talk about the Dharma, I want to be the Dharma. (laughs) And, And then I thought, you know, after all these talks, all these question and answers, all these instructions, isn't that enough with words? <laughs> you know, I could see there was just the resistance to words themselves. And, um, you know, I've heard some people say that. <laughs> but then, so there's this resistance, there is this thoughts, and I thought, okay, I'll just give a talk on simplicity. You know, that I do feel like the practice in its nature is very simple. And that sometimes, you know, we come at it this way, that way, this way, and then we try to hold it all in our head, and we go, (laughs) and we don't know what we're doing anymore. (laughs) And so, you know, for a little bit, that thought, I thought, oh, okay, you could do that. That's okay, you could do that. That's allowable. (laughs) But I could see there was still some kind of resistance that was there. And then, you know, in, in having this interest, which to me, it's like when interest is there, the light's just turned on in the mind. It's not that figuring out, but just, you know, kind of everything shifting through and kind of feeling it out. And so as I'm being with it, and it gets really calm, peaceful, quiet, and then the thought of these words again. It's like, <laughs> the enemy, you know, and it's like how when we're sitting, you know, the thought can uh, be like an obstacle. And then there was just suddenly this moment of seeing it. There was the thinking that these words were somehow something in between your, the Dhamma being here and realizing, oh, no, they too are apart. They too are Dharma. And, you know, it's just, it it took me right back to in practice when I had discovered that there was a version to thinking that I hadn't seen. And, you know, something to be gotten rid of. Where, you know, in this moment it was like that this too can be included. This too is okay. And so, tonight, as I offer you these words, (laughs) May your listening be a support to mindfulness, and hopefully as I'm speaking, and in this way we meet in the Dhamma.
in our practice, we're continually looking at ways that self gets created, fabricated. We keep looking into places of held tension, tightness. We find, as we practice, that memories arise. They come unprompted, and they often hold events from the past where we may have felt that we've been wronged or may bring up guilt and shame in our own actions. So tonight, what I'd like to speak about is a quality of heart that helps us to use the arising of these memories as a place to let go, relinquish, free, held tension, pain, sorrow. Tonight I'll be speaking about the quality of forgiveness. I'd like to share just a brief story that really touched me when I read it. It's a story about a woman named Rita Schoffler. Um, Rita was 61 years old. She was in a hospice and dying right near death. 20 years before that, she had had a divorce from her husband It had been a very bitter divorce. She had not allowed him to have access to seeing their child. And they had not spoken in 20 years. As she was laying there, she realized that she wanted to speak with him. She gave him a call, and he said he'd come right over. Oh, dear. Oh dear, (laughs) we need longer arms. (laughs) Uh. No, no, it's okay, I'm going to manage. They just take a moment to focus. (laughs) Thanks, though, and it's very brief. So She said, I shouldn't have waited nearly so long to forgive and forget. I am still fond of him, despite everything. For weeks... All she had been able to say was that she wanted to to die. But now she said, now I'd love to be able to participate in life one last time. I think it's quite possible that as we near death, that we will see that which is unresolved in our hearts. And that just this piece about her wanting to participate in life one last time. You know, to, to know that forgiveness is something that helps us to release the deadened and heavy energy of our hearts 
Forgiveness allows us to move forward. When we're stuck in anger, resentment, feeling of wanting revenge, retaliation, it keeps us locked in the past. It keeps us in that illusion of being separate. Forgiveness is something that's essential on the journey of awakening, or we can never truly let go, be free. Forgiveness is a process. It's not something that's always easy to do. It can take us to the edge of that which seems acceptable because we may have been really harmed, hurt, treated unfairly. There's, you know, as I speak about forgiveness, I really recognize that some of us may have been touched by great atrocities in our own lives, or our family or friends have, and it's had an impact on our lives maybe the way we were brought up. Sometimes these atrocities are unbelievable, hard to hold. And, you know, so it's not that we want to lightly brush aside, say, oh, it's okay. You know, with true forgiveness, there's a real part of honoring what has transpired, but not being stopped by the ignorance that created it, but being able to delve deeper to the real capacity that we have as human beings, to be able to love and be loved. to be able to live in an open-hearted way. It's said that one description of forgiveness is it's the most tender part of love. And it takes a great courageousness of heart to really work with the process of forgiveness. That tenderness seems to arise out of knowing the brutality of anger, hatred, out of knowing the heart that feels walled in, separate, alienated. And we touch that in our practice. You know, in moments where anger takes hold, the suffering is evident. We can see it. If we don't feel the pain of that, that's where we can get very indignant, self-righteous, move into blame. But when we actually feel the pain of it, we know it's too much to hang on to that. We feel compelled to let go.
even if it takes time, even if it takes work. I was reading a story about a couple uh, who had a 13-year-old daughter, and she was said to be a lively young girl, and she was murdered. Her parents were Wilma and Cliff Dirksen. After she had been murdered, they had a visitor come and see them. And he too had lost his daughter. His daughter had been murdered. And he was speaking to them, and he was filled with anger and desire for revenge. They said it had ruined his health, that he had lost his job, that his close relationships were in a shamble. Then, as they were listening to him, he went on to say that what had transpired had destroyed all of the positive memories he had of his daughter. And so when they heard that, they just knew there was a new enemy, not the person whom had killed, murdered their daughter, but the enemy of anger, revenge. They were seeing through their visitor what the consequences of that, of like, you know, getting caught in that, what that could lead to. And they said they went to bed that night and they made a choice. They decided that they would endeavor to forgive. That was the word that came to them. And they, they knew it wasn't going to be easy because they were filled with emotion. They were filled with, you know, a lot of strong feelings. But they didn't feel like there was any choice. And we can learn this in our practice. You know, as we see these states of mind come through. You know, just watching when a memory arises and you picture somebody, you know, sometimes on retreat it's just somebody who maybe said something in a brusque way and it comes back and you just feel, you feel that in the body. Feel it in the mind, the, the poison. How the heart shuts down. It isn't what we want to hang on to. It doesn't mean, though, by choosing forgiveness that we won't feel this, that we won't at times feel that rage. But if we're going through a process of forgiving, it gives a greater context to touch that rage, to be with that rage. And it's a way in which we can touch it, know it, and not have to be defined by it. Desmond Tutu once said, 
Forgiveness is taking seriously the awfulness that has happened when you were treated unfairly. But we want to move into the realm of wisdom with that, which we can't do when we're caught in reactivity. In the process of forgiveness, it's really important to know. It doesn't mean that we condone the actions that have transpired. It doesn't mean that we're trying to suppress or be passive in the face of abuse or violence. But by touching into and allowing the healing of the heart, It's a way that we reclaim our hearts. Happiness is something that nobody has the power to take away from us when that happiness is based in wisdom. By the process of forgiveness, it's a way, too, of taking our seat on this earth, bearing witness, and committing to a life of non-harming, committing to the strength of speaking out where appropriate, committing to listening, to feeling. One of the uh, aspects that is very helpful to the process of forgiveness is that of empathy. Because so often we hold somebody who may has done harm to us by way of imagining what was in their mind, what they were feeling, and, and thinking that they did so just out of cruelty rather than confusion, rather than them not being able to see clearly. I'd like to share a story that, to me, just is part of a wise response. This comes from uh, a book called The Buddhist Acts of Compassion, and it's a story told by Kate O'Neill. In the early 1980s in Boston, I met on occasion with a Vietnamese Buddhist Sangha. Their temple was near a large beige brick housing development. And what had once been a basketball court for the neighboring development was now the parking lot for the temple. One day, their offices were broken into, a computer was stolen, and their temple was vandalized. A leader of the Vietnamese Sangha was interviewed on television. As he gazed steadily into the camera, he said simply, I'm trying to look more deeply to understand why these people came and stole from us. Yes. I would like our computer back, but mostly I wish to speak with the thieves to see if there is something that we have done. Perhaps they want their basketball court back. His compassionate attitude had an amazing ripple effect in the community. His looking deeply opened a way beyond crime and punishment. 
beyond violation and retribution. It was amazing to see him speak like this on the evening news. The leader did eventually talk with the young men who broke into the Vietnamese temple, and the computer was returned. The community did not press criminal charges. Instead, they arranged for the young men to have access to their basketball court part of the time. What if in our lives we stop and we listen? So empathy, supportive to forgiveness. Compassion, also supportive to forgiveness. Really being able to touch the suffering, to be steady in the face of suffering. I've seen over and over again in my own experience where somebody irritates me, bothers me, and rather than focusing on that, if I focus on the pain that they are experiencing, my heart just naturally opens. Not harboring resentment. we will find in the process of forgiveness that sometimes reconciliation is possible. Sometimes we can actually sit down and talk about what has transpired. Sometimes this won't be possible you know, for different reasons. The person may have died. There may be a great distance. Uh, the other person may not be ready to enter into this process. But we can still work within our own minds. There's been someone in my own life whom it's been quite difficult with. And, you know, at a certain point, there was the realizing, you know, I kept wanting us to work it out, but my wanting just made it worse and kept putting us both in the situation where we did unwholesome things said unwholesome things. And so, you know, at some point it was realizing that wasn't the appropriate way in this moment. But, you know, what I could see to do was to practice loving-kindness so that I wasn't actually shutting my heart down to this person. You know, and there's times where, you know, we can't go to somebody because there could be real danger of physical violence or some form of abuse. But the important part is not deadening our hearts. So, you know, many times we'll have to see what's appropriate, what's helpful. The work can be done inwardly. 
And yet, I also want to caution that, you know, <laughs> this is from my own experience, Vipassana meditator, taking care of everything on the inside, that sometimes there's a tendency not to speak. You know, that feeling like it's resolved within, so, you know, nothing really needs to be said. And that doesn't leave the place, the ground, for greater healing for both people. But, uh, you know, it's something we really have to uh, look and see what's appropriate. The process of forgiveness needs great patience. You know, because it's like metta. You know, we can't force it. We can't push it. And we can't have an agenda with it. Sometimes, you know, it may be that we have to rest in the intention to forgive. The conditions are just not yet ripe. The rage is still strong. It still has its hooks. But just entertaining the possibility that this is something that maybe can be relinquished. The patience will also help us to recognize mistakes, whether we've made the mistakes or feel like another person has made the mistakes. Now, we really come to a place of seeing how hard it is to be a human being and live in a non-harming way when we just have all of these habits that are based in ignorance. And, you know, again, this comes back to patience, compassion. It's not easy. No, and it doesn't help if we're really brutal on ourselves when we feel like we've made a mistake. And I know for me that I have found that I am the hardest person to forgive. You know, if some event has transpired, I can forgive others long before I forgive myself. Part of that being, you know, desire for perfection. You know, the sense that one shouldn't make mistakes. If one was really, you know, filled with wisdom, compassion, this wouldn't happen. And obviously seeing that one has done something that was hurtful, harmful. The voice of perfectionism is so painful. And it can never be lived up to. No, it's really helpful to see that. Did I ever share with you the story of being with my Zen master, Hogan-san, and his um, teachings on perfection now? Does that ring a bell? No. Okay. So some years ago, I was doing a Zen sashin. It was my very first delving into the Zen world. And this sashin was happening in a, a little farmhouse. There was about 25 of us, and this wonderful little impish delightful Zen master, Hogan-san. He's the man who gave me my name. And so at this session, 
He was working with Zen koans. Let's see if I can find his description. Oh, yes, here it is. So he describes a Zen koan as the ultimate question, which in itself it is an answer by which one can cut off one's own karmic ego head and be born anew. <laughs> and so these Zen koans, to me, had a real ring to them and like seemed really important. And so, you know, on the first evening, he offered a Zen koan. And, and then, you know, I think it was the next morning, I was sitting with the Zen koan, and there was suddenly an answer. And, you know, that was quite exciting. <laughs> so it was also at a time where you could go in and have, a, you know, one-to-one meeting with him. So I stood in line, I went in, and I sat down in front of him, and I told him uh, the answer to the Zen koan. And then he, he looked at me and he said, what was the koan? And, uh, and so <laughs> I was like, hmm. <laughs> and apparently I hadn't even got the koan right. <laughs> so I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> I got up and I left. And then later that day he gave another one. And when he said it, it was like so profound. And, you know, so it's like, wow. Know, and here I am, I'm going to sit with that again, and sitting there, and then at some point, I'm going, hmm, what was that called? And I couldn't remember. And it again was a time where you could go in and have an, a meeting. So I again lined up, I went in, and I told him what had happened. And he looked at me, and he rolled his eyeballs. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, just go and sit. Sit perfectly. And I sat there for a moment, and I took it in. I thought, sit perfectly. And so then I said to him, well, you know, you've just given me a future. And he's getting very puzzled by me at this point. He says, how did I do that? (laughs) And I said, well, you know, if I'm going to sit perfectly, it's going to take some time. (laughs) And so he looked at me, and everything else in the room disappeared at this point. And there was these two brown eyes, and they just zoomed right into me. And he goes, perfection, no! (laughs) As we are. (laughs) As we are. Can we be okay with this? You know, we often practice to perfect ourselves. It's not what it's about. One of the most inspiring stories of forgiveness, self-forgiveness, to me, is the story of Angulimala. Now, have we told this story? (laughs) I'm just checking. It gets muddled in the mind at this point. (laughs) So I'd I'd like to share this story. When, at one point, when I heard this story, 
it was at a time where, in some way in my life, I was working with self-forgiveness. And so, in hearing the story, was just this sense of how much we can forgive ourselves. And it also brought home to me the depth of the compassion of the Buddha. So, during the life of the Buddha, there was a serial killer. His, um, he had made a pledge to his teacher to gather 1,000 fingers and give it to his teacher as a gift. He had acquired 999 of these fingers, and he only had one more finger to go. He was out in a remote area where his mother started to approach him. His mother was looking for him. And it's said to be one of the worst crimes to kill your mother. It's said to give rise to an immediate rebirth in the hell realms. And the Buddha, with his eye of omniscience, saw this was about to happen. And he also saw in Angulimala's mind the possibility for liberation. So this prompted him to travel 30 miles to meet Angulimala. And the Buddha appeared just moments after Angulimala had decided to kill his mother to get his final finger and complete his garland. And seeing the Buddha, or you know, just as he first appeared to Angulimala, was just as a monk off in the distance, that um, Angulimala decided he would take the monk's life instead of his mother's. And as Angulimala set off in pursuit of the Buddha, he found himself running very fast. And the Buddha, through his psychic powers, appeared to be walking at a normal pace. And Angulimala walked faster and faster, and still the Buddha walked normal. Finally, Angulimala called out to the Buddha, Stop, recluse, stop. And the Buddha replied, I have stopped, Angulimala. You stop too. I have stopped forever. I abstain from violence towards living beings, but you have no restraint towards things that breathe. So that is why I have stopped, and you have not. It is said that Angulimala, on, on hearing these words, there was a great change in his heart. He realized who the Buddha was, and that the Buddha had intuitively come into the forest to pull him back from the bottomless abyss of misery in which he was about to tumble. He was moved to the very roots of his being, and he pledged himself to a life of nonviolence. Angulimala became a monk and went on to becoming fully enlightened. It wasn't that when he made the decision to be a monk that things went smoothly for him. It said he had to continually work with patience. His practice for some time was very difficult. His past haunted him. And this is the story of his relinquishing his suffering, as is told by Rafe Martin. 
Then Angulimala roused himself and raised a great determination. Pushing his mind on and on, he allowed it to settle nowhere. He refused to give in to agony or to seek refuge in hope, fear, or grief. The awful memories came back. Again, he let them go. There was visions of his childhood, of rippling laughter, running water, sunlight on flowers, a stream of sweet images flowed through his mind. He clung to nothing. Moment by moment, he continued patiently on, enduring all. Suddenly his pain vanished and his doubting, seeking mind lay shattered. For a timeless instant, he knew the taste of Nibbana, the fruit of the Buddhist path. It's said that Angulimala did die a violent death, but that his mind was unperturbed. So sometimes when I felt like remorse, regret, guilt for what I may have done, to know that someone who did so much harm could awaken. Whatever you know, we're harboring in our hearts, it is possible to let go and move on. I find it really helpful, the line that we sometimes use in metta practice, may I love and accept myself just as I am. Remembering that forgiveness is the most tender part of love. Mark Twain had a beautiful description of it where he said, it's the fragrance that the flower sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Over history, there's been so many people that have been in the midst of atrocities that have really found that resilience of the human heart, that capacity to love when it seems impossible. There's um, one Tibetan monk whom, let's see, Paldin Gyatso. He spent 31 years in a Chinese prison, during which time, you know, there was unimaginable conditions. Uh, 70% of his inmates died of starvation and you know, daily torture was a part of their lives. Um, after his being released, the Dalai Lama asked him what was the one thing he had feared during those 33 years in captivity. 
And Paldian Gyatso replied, what I feared most was losing my compassion. There's a wonderful book, Autobiography of a Tibetan Monk, that tells his story, which is not easy to read, but is very moving and inspiring. And the, uh, the Dalai Lama has written a foreword in that book. And in it he says, um, he says of Paldan Gyatso, Nevertheless, he refused to give in to his oppressors, that he found the courage to do so, and even to forgive those who tortured him is a tribute not only to the natural resilience of the Tibetan character, I believe it also derives from the Buddhist teachings of love, kindness, tolerance, and especially the explanation that all things are relative, which is a source of inner peace and hope. He goes on to say that individuals like Paldan Gyatso reveal that the human values of compassion, patience, and a sense of responsibility for our own actions that lie at the core of spiritual practice still survive. His story is an inspiration to us all. And there is many stories of people who really embody this resilience of the human heart. been important for me to remember this because sometimes it does you know we get to that edge and it's like no not this I can't I won't or where the, the rage just takes over and it feels impossible it feels too much to bear but to remember those who have done so those who have really been able to stay true, wise, compassionate. But to watch that we don't hold it as a should in the mind. A should is filled with brutality. No, and it's just another way that we, we don't match up to being perfect. Shoulds kill us. They are a heavy weight. They are a burden. And that's where we need honesty. You know, just to be really honest. But, you know, that honesty, that acceptance of what seems unbearable, it makes a huge difference. Because as the Buddha said in the Dhammapada, hatred never ceases through hatred, but through love alone. This is an eternal law. I was reading um, today about where that teaching was given. And it was given to two women whom it was said that they had, this was their third lifetime where they had... um, been in a relationship of revenge. As it was said that three lifetimes ago, they were both married to the same man, and one could bear children and the other couldn't. And the one who couldn't became very jealous 
and that she gave poison to the other wife, who had twice had um, aborted the child because of the poison, and then on the third time she died. And on her deathbed, she promised to take revenge on the other woman. And it's said that they did that again. And then their next lifetime, <laughs> that's when they met the Buddha. And he offered these teachings. No, that hatred is not what we want to protect. Part- don't want to keep <laughs> cycling through. <laughs> There's a P word, but it's not there. (laughs) Keep precipitating. (laughs) Anyhow, it's like stopping the cycle, breaking the chain right here in our own hearts. We have the capacity, and our practice is what helps to make it possible your mindfulness that can be steady with it, loving-kindness that can be inclusive, compassion that can touch the pain, equanimity that can find the balance. It's all here. It's all possible. I'd like to share um, a teaching from Ajahn Chah. And I read this one time when I was on a self-retreat. And right before going into retreat, somebody had angered me. I felt as if, you know, what had transpired was not good. And uh, there, there was a lot of bitterness in my heart. And so I went on this retreat. Um, It was my first time on self-retreat, so I found that there were some loops that really kept coming around. There was no teacher giving any kind of guidance there, so sometimes these loops hung around a little bit. And there was a lot of suffering in it. And then I read this from Ajahn Chah. If someone curses us and we have no feelings of self, the, d- the incident ends with the spoken words, and we do not suffer. If unpleasant feelings arise, we should let them stop there, realizing the feelings are not us. He hates me. He troubles me. He is my enemy. A practitioner does not think like this, nor does one hold views of pride or comparison. If we do not stand up in the line of fire, we do not get shot. If there is no one to receive it, the letter is sent back. Moving gracefully through the world, not caught in evaluating each event, a practitioner becomes serene. This is the way of nibbana, emptiness, and freedom. If we meet the difficulties we face, if we meet them in our practice with mindfulness, 
kindness. They naturally go their own way. They don't stick. We find coming forth the natural radiance of the heart. I'd like to close tonight with a poem that has an anonymous author. If you would grow to your best self, be patient, not demanding, accepting, not condemning, nurturing, not withholding, self-marveling, not belittling, gently guiding, not pushing and punishing, for you are more sensitive than you know. Mankind is tough as war, yet delicate as flowers. We can endure agonies, but we open fully only to the warmth and light, and our need to grow is fragile as a fragrance dispersed by storms of will to return only when these storms are still. So accept, respect, attend your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. Really taking care in this process with kindness, compassion. That tenderness of heart that allows us to touch the deepest places of wounding, that allows us to relinquish, let go, and discover the freedom that the Buddha promised. As a way of closing tonight, I'd like to offer the forgiveness practice as it's traditionally done in Buddhist practice. That it can actually be you know, a way of uh, getting in touch with the holding in the heart, anything we might be hanging on to. And as I offer these phrases, It's really to just see what comes into the mind and to just be present with it, allow, and seeing if in that allowing it it lets go. If it doesn't, to be with it by way of mindfulness, compassion, care. So I'll offer these phrases, and then you can silently 
say them to yourself and just see what comes to mind. If I have hurt or harmed you in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, I ask for forgiveness. If you have hurt or harmed me in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, I offer forgiveness. If I have hurt or harmed myself in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, I offer forgiveness. May all beings come to know the heart that is free of anger and filled with loving-kindness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.